The scripture reading this morning will be taken from the memoirs of St. John, chapter 13, verses 3 through 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he did something extraordinary. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Thank you very much. Lynn and I started this ministry some 26 years ago. Uh, When we first met, I did not know she was a psychotherapist. We met, she said, hi, how are you? I said, fine. She said, why do you feel that way? What do you mean, why do I feel that way? I asked her, I said, all right, in your years of counseling, what have you found out to be the major issue? And by the way, we do free counseling appointments on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. If you're interested in one of these uh, sessions, you'll have to see her. Two requirements. Number one, you attend all the sessions before your counseling appointment. And number two, you're serious about making some changes. Now, I asked her, what are, well, well, what's the major issue? And she came up quickly. She said, selfishness. I want you to stop and think about it. every major problem you've ever had in your life, every you have in the family, every you ever had in this church, probably was related to selfishness. Selfishness. So we decided then that that was going to be the foundation of our conference. Now, keep in mind, We used to what we call marriage matters. Now we're doing relationships matter because we realize our conference is not just for married people. You understand that? You don't have to be married to come to our conference. You know, you can, whatever you are, maybe you don't like married people. That's fine. Come on. That's fine. So here again, we're dealing with the problems and the issues that people face in life. If you open up your outline there, you'll see the outline. You'll need to fill in some blanks. There will be a test over this thing next week. That's how you resurrect dead students. On the next test, and it's up from the grave, they arose. The basis of servanthood. Number one is the teachings of Jesus. Your Bible is open to Matthew or to Mark chapter... Let's go to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. I'm starting in verse 33. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? They kept quiet because they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, if anyone wants to be first, he means to be very last, the servant of all. Jesus says you're going to talk about greatness. Let me tell you who it is. It's the servant. Go over to chapter 10. In chapter 10... He has a similar idea. And in chapter 10, he talks about verse 43. He talks about the rulers of the Gentiles. Then he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Now, why, Jesus? Why is that important? Next verse. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, the lifestyle to which I've called you to live, I'm willing to model. 
Now, if you're an astute Bible student, you have to say, why does Jesus teach the same thing in chapter 10 as he taught in chapter 8? Answer, they weren't listening in 8. The disciples were guilty of selective hearing. They only heard what they wanted to hear. I didn't know what selective hearing was until I got a teenage son. He said, Dad, he said, sometimes we as teenagers, we don't hear what you say. I said, what do you mean you don't hear what we say? Well, clean up your room, put your trash in the trash can, put your dirty dishes in the sink. They don't hear that. Some of you ladies think you're married to a teenager now, don't you? In other words, we don't always want to hear what we think we would like to hear. And that's the disciples did the same thing. What about the life of Jesus? We, it's been read for you here. What did Jesus do? He washed the disciples' feet, all the disciples, including Judas, knowing full well what Judas was going to do. I remember forever a preacher calling me, so I'm going to take you to breakfast, and I'm going to pay for it. Now, let me tell you about preachers. Anytime the preacher calls you and says he's taking you to breakfast and he's going to pay for it, you're in trouble. <laughs> this is not a social event. We got to breakfast and he looked at me. He said, Jerry, are there some men whose feet you would not wash? I thought about that. I thought of two or three I'd like to take a steel brush to. (laughs) Jesus showed the disciples what servanthood was. What about the early church? Were they not a serving church? Acts 2, Acts 6, Acts 11, absolutely. So, what we have done so far in our Bible study, we found the basis of servanthood. Rooted in the teachings of Jesus, manifested in his life, demonstrated in his church. Now, what's the problem? What are the barriers that keeps us from being servants? Number one, you've already figured out. Selfishness. Selfishness. I was preaching one time, and... uh, a lady came up to me after the sermon. She said, my husband and I are having difficulties. Would you counsel with us? Now, I didn't think I was that good of a counselor, but I thought I'd try. So we went off one of the side rooms along with her husband. I closed the door. I sat down. I said, what's your problem? She began explaining to me the problem. After she finished, he raised his hand, saying, may I say something? I said, absolutely. He then began telling me the opposite of what she had said. Then they got in in an argument right in front of me. That's not what you said. It is too. Your mother said. My mother did. I mean, this thing got heated. And I said, it's time for my counseling techniques to kick in. So I said, I know some things that would fix this marriage. They just kept on going. I know some things that would make a difference. Kept on going. Nothing those teachers told me to do worked. When what I've been educated to do doesn't work, I have a tendency to go back to my roots. You say, what are your roots? I grew up in inner city St. Louis. I'm a ghetto kid at heart. So I looked right at that couple and I said, shut up. First one opens the mouth, I'm going to bust them. (laughs) Young people, don't go home and repeat what I just said. (laughs) Not a good idea. You don't say shut up to people. That's not nice. In that case, you do. They shut up. They turned and looked at me, their eyes this big. And I pointed right at the man or right at the woman. I said, woman, your problem is selfishness. 
Do you believe the man was so insightful? He said, that's right. (laughs) I've been telling her that for years. I said, you have the same problem. All right. We're going to work on this week. I looked at the man. I said, I want you this week to go out and get a long stem red rose. One, uno, bring it home to this woman. I felt I needed to be very specific with him. I said, lady, you act like you've never seen a rose before, which was probably true. Give him a sloppy kiss, favorite dessert, something. Got it, got it. Got up to preach the next night. I've always put my Bible, my outline up front. On the pulpit was a piece of candy wrapped up in a baggie. Now, if you hang around pulpits, Church of Christ, you find some strange stuff. People put notes up there, scriptures, all kinds of stuff. One man, where I preached, put his watch up there. Now, what's so funny about that? <laughs> the elders didn't tell you, did they? My nickname, they call me Pharaoh, because I won't let the people go. I hope you think that's funny at 2 o'clock. But, all right. Piece of candy wrapped up in a baggie. And so I asked the preacher. I said, preacher, who brought the candy by? He said, Ray did. Ray's this guy I'm working with. And I said, well, that was nice. He said, you tell Jones I didn't get roses like he told me to, but I got chocolate-covered cherries instead because I like those better. <laughs> he didn't get it. Get it. Selfishness. Selfishness. Second big barrier, if you want to take the notes, fill in the blank, would be family of origin. Woo, this is a big one, folks. Listen carefully. You will be in your relationships today what you saw modeled in your family of origin unless you make a definite effort to change. That's a mouthful. You will be in your relationships today what you saw modeled in your family of origin unless you make a conscious effort to change. Unfortunately, some of us grew up in very dysfunctional situations. I don't like the word dysfunction. I think we're all dysfunctional, just a matter of degree. In other words, you do not know what healthy looks like because it was never modeled for you. And you then are duplicating it for your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, unless somebody draws a line in the sand and says, we're not doing this anymore. That's why this conference is so important. Because we're going to try to describe for you what healthy actually looks like. And parents, you deserve it. Your children deserve to see that kind of thing modeled. Maybe you didn't have the chance, but let's give them a chance. Let's give them a chance. Now, how does the servant heart diplify itself? Number one, in the family. In the family. I told the men today that there are only two scriptures... In all the Bible, that tells me something I need to do daily. One of them is to encourage one another daily. Folks, in case you haven't caught on, I'm a champion of young people. These young people are facing problems and difficulties and challenges unlike we have never seen. On all fronts... 
We're living, folks, in a wicked society. We are living in a post-Christian country. Do you not understand that? Yes, they're going to make mistakes. Yes, they need to be corrected, but they need to be encouraged too. We need to be an encouraging type of family. What about in our marriages? Turn over to Ephesians 5. We're going to camp there a little while. Again, how much, so much misunderstanding has come about in our marriages. I want you to look at chapter 5. I want you to look at a little phrase. Look at verse 25, chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives. Look at your Bible. Just as. Just as Christ loved the church. Look at verse 29. After all, no one ever hated his own body or feeds it and cares for it. Just as Christ. We need to realize that we're involved in a mutual submission kind of situation. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 21. Submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ. I can't take the time to explain to you how counterculture that was to Paul's Greco-Roman world. Because you see, that was not the situation that was there. Jesus then is the model. The Bible says, now as the church submits to Christ, so the wife submits to the husband and everything. What does that mean? How does that work out? We'll talk about that throughout this conference. In other words, we need a, a mutual kind of submission. It's not, you know, you know uh, the, the problem is we've, we've factored in a really unbiblical idea. We submit to Christ. Why? Because we want to. Not because we have to. Let me tell you something about your relationship to Christ. Until your have-to religion becomes want-to religion, you don't get it. Paul then has to spend most of his time in this section dealing with the responsibility of the husband. Why? Because that was the problem in the Greco-Roman world. Because they didn't understand the kind of relationship they ought to have. And so we need to, to, to redefine this whole thing and understand really what's going on and what's taking place. Because people have used this just to beat one another up. And that's not what the passage is meant to be there at all. Is I submit to Christ. Lynn submits to me. I submit to her. We're a mutual submission. And see, we do not understand that. And that's why this conference is going to be so important. Because we're going to take the time to explain what that healthy relation actually looks like. Maybe it was never modeled. Maybe it was never seen. But we're going to explain exactly how it is. Here again, as we looked at Ephesians 5.21, that is the key verse to what's going on. He'll talk about wives and husbands. He'll talk about fathers and sons. He'll talk even about slaves and masters. The model is Jesus. The early church preached Jesus and practiced what they preached. Now you think about that one. The early church preached Jesus and they practiced what they preached. And that was Jesus. Jesus then was the cart, the core, and the center. How does the servant heart work in the church? 
We have to decide whether the church is a body or a group of individuals. If the body, if the church is a group of individuals, then my opinions and my preferences are important. If the church is a body, then what's best for the body is important. And let me tell you something, this thing really surfaced during the pandemic. Well, if I don't have my way, I'm just not going to come back again. I don't know these elders that well, but let me tell you something. Most of the problems they have to do and deal with people is opinions and preferences more than actually what's wrong with the body. And I got a few nodded heads out there. Didn't get any loud amens, but got nodded heads. All of them were elders, by the way. Now I know who the elders are. Either that or they were trying to stay awake, one of the two. What's best for the body? It might not be my opinion. It might not be my preference. But you see, if I maintain the servant heart, what would happen if, if all this church came to the elders and said, don't worry about our opinions, don't worry about our preferences, you tell us what's best for this church and we will do it and not say one word about it. Did you ever see elders have heart attacks in unison? Hey, it would happen. It would happen. What about the purpose of our assembly? Well, again, we see uh, the servant heart. We're here basically to, to worship God. The, the statement in, in, in Corinthians is, is, is God really among you? So we have to answer that. Our purpose is to edify, to build up. Edify others. This word edify is used some five or six times in 1 Corinthians 14. Somebody says, well, I went to church today and I didn't get anything out of it. You weren't supposed to get anything out of it. You were there to edify. You were there to build up. That's what it's all about. And see, this is where the pandemic has really hit us hard. We've got a lot of people then that went to church online. They sat there in their pajamas, drank their coffee and got everything else. And so why come back to the assembly? Why? Because they didn't understand what the assembly was about. The assembly was about edifying and building up and encouraging one another. Now, in that process, I'm sure I'm going to be encouraged, but that's not the direction. But what does that take? It takes the servant heart in order to do that. They had a problem in 1 Corinthians 14 of a constructive assembly. You got tongue speakers without interpreters and you got prophets getting up at the same time. They said you need to have then an ordered kind of service. What about serving art with people? We need to live a life that glorifies God. Who gets the glory and the praise for your life? Little passage over in Galatians 1. Paul says, and they glorified God because of me. They didn't glorify me because of God. Glorified God because of me. Who gets the glory and the praise for your life? What about doing good to others? We have so many opportunities to do good. We have so many opportunities to actually help other people. Are you ready for the biggie? How do we develop servant heart? If you're sitting there today and say, Jerry, you've nailed me. I don't have a servant heart. How do I get it? First of all, you have to create an outward focus. 
Acts 20 and verse 35 is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Interesting statement, not recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but Paul attributes it to Jesus. You're better off giving what you had rather than keeping it. The Dead Sea is dead today because there's an inlet, no outlet. It receives, but it does not give. I've heard people say, well, I've been a Christian 50 years. That might be true. But it might be true you've been a Christian one year 50 times. Folks, if nothing has happened... If we've not grown, something is terribly wrong. Making a church by people coming in, checking for, well, we prayed and we preached and we, Lord's Supper and we gave and we prayed. Folks, that's not it. As important as that might be, that's not it. Where's our focus? Is our focus on ourselves? Let me tell you what's concerning me up front, folks. Or prayers. Most of our prayers that I hear prayed or prayed for ourselves. Bless us, do this, do this, do this. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for ourselves. I'm not saying we should pray for the we shouldn't pray for the sick. We we all should pray for people who are in trouble. But when was the last time we prayed for the lost? When was the last time from this pulpit that a prayer was made for the people who knew not Jesus in this area, in this city? When was the last time the prayer was prayed for laborers to go forth to the field? That's what Jesus says we ought to pray. If Jesus said we ought to pray, then I think we ought to do it. Where's the focus? What's going on? We need to develop what I call agape love. Go over your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. Several great passages there. Look at, uh, well, we'll go, we'll go to chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I'm in verse 7. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. God doesn't love us because of, he loves us in spite of. And until we understand that kind of love, we really don't get it, do we? Gratitude. Go to first, let's go to second Peter. Second Peter chapter one. Starting in verse five, for this reason... Make every effort to add your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. Watch your Bible. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, you will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch the next verse. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted, he is blind, 
and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. What was the Lord's Supper today all about? Obviously about the death of Jesus. Was it a time for introspection to see how we're doing? Yes. Explain to me. Somebody, please. How a person Sunday after Sunday can partake of the Lord's Supper to participate in this kind of thing and go out and be the same person that came in. Now, now, now folks, I'm simple. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Your spirituality will never rise any higher than your gratitude. If you look up close to me, I've been ripped open here. I've got a patch here. I've got a scar here. I ran my hands accidentally through a glass window and blood was flying. I still don't have any feeling in this little finger over here. As far as typing, it is worthless. It's all over the chart. I'm grateful for Dr. Hawkins for sewing me up that late Sunday night and putting me back together. I will be forever grateful to him. But I will be even more ever grateful for the man of Nazareth who went to the cross for me. I'll never be able to do enough, say enough, give enough to equal what he did. So the Lord's Supper is, is devoted to reminding us of what's going on and what should be our place. Christ-likeness. I'm going to share with you three scriptures. I'll start with you in Galatians 4, verse 19. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. Back up to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to his likeness. Go forward to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. What's our goal? Our goal is to have Christ formed in us. It's not to have all the scriptures memorized, everything correct straight. His bottom line is Christ informed in you. This past week, we lost a dear friend to many of us. If I mention the name Lynn Anderson, you probably know who Lynn Anderson was. 
He and I were good friends. We went to school together. And Lynn did it right. When somebody was visiting with him in the hospital as he's dealing with cancer, somebody said, well, the big C got you, didn't it? He's no, the big C is Christ, children, and Carolyn. What's the big C for you? Philippians chapter 2. Paul dealt with his church, and they didn't have that many problems, but believe it or not, they had a problem of selfishness. Can you imagine a church having a problem of selfishness? Can you imagine two women in the same church not getting along? (laughs) Yodakin Seneca, chapter 4. What was the solution? The solution was you need to have the mind of Christ. Folks, tell me a problem you're facing or you don't know how to deal with it. The mind of Christ would not help. You see, that's what we're dealing with and that's what we're about. Our conference, next to your decision to follow Jesus, which I think is priority, next to that decision, there's a good possibility this week could be a life-changing event for you. And I mean that seriously. But you get ready. Satan is going to try to do a number on you. He's going to say, you don't need this. Other people need. Listen, we all need this. I was driving down the road one night listening to a religious radio station. And the guy said on the radio station, what are the most difficult years of a marriage? And I began to think, well, what are the most difficult years? And before I could even figure out my answer, he said the most difficult years of a marriage are those after the wedding. (laughs) Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Folks, we need some strong marriages. We have them in this church. And that's wonderful. I know they've had their difficulties. Everybody has their challenges. But we need to understand the importance of Christ-likeness. Folks, God brought us here. He's called us here. In all probability, we'll never be back again. An opportunity that God then is putting in your lap. You say, well, Jerry, I'm not even a follower of Jesus. Following Jesus is a challenge. It's the thing that you need to do in life. And it begins with going to the cross and say, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. If you need to, as you kneel at the cross, come as we stand and sing.